Revolution. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising, and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, we release arguably the greatest part two since The Empire Strikes Back. This episode being the second half of our chat with a man who's one of the most highly awarded, revered and talented copywriters and creative directors on the planet. The one and only George Tannenbaum. We paused part one after talking about ageism and Hitler being left-handed, but we now return to our chat with the former executive creative director and copy chief at Ogilvy as we talk about the current state of copywriting the great American journalist and author Robert Caro, and the Pirate King, Rob Schwartz. If you haven't caught part one, make sure you do before feasting your ears on this, the rest of our chat with George. So let's, let's quickly talk about uh, copywriting. I don't want to do you a disservice because, Christ, we could talk all day and should talk all day to you about copywriting, but are there parallels with what we've just talked about with ageism and, and generally, broad, if we can be so broad as to say the bullshit in the industry, has that crept into what we do as, you know, the, the real creativity in copywriting? Is- well, you know, I, I quote a lot in the blog. There's, a, there's an American writer. He's won two Pulitzer Prizes, and I've seen him speak maybe 10 times. His name is Robert Caro. He's won two, two Pulitzer Prizes, two National Book Awards, and he's written the book about the making of New York City called The Power Broker, and then a four-volume, probably um, probably 3,000 pages on President Lyndon Johnson. He's working on the fifth volume. It's a race between him and uh, the great timekeeper because he's 85. He tells a story when he was at Princeton University. He was in a writing class. He had a courtly old Southern gentleman who was the professor who was a, a noted writer at the time. And Kara would always, you know, they get two weeks to write something, and Kara would always wait till the night before. And sit, he was always able to write fast the way he tells it. And he would sit down and he would type a story. And he'd always get A's because he's an excellent writer, A being the highest mark. And he tells the story how in his last session, the teacher calls him in. I forget the man's name. Um, and he says, he says something, and this might be an exact quote. I'm going to do it as close as I can. He said, Mr. Caro, I don't know what your goals are. I don't know what you intend to do with your life. You know, he's 21 at the time, let's say. But you will never achieve what you want to achieve if you continue to think with your fingers. And, you know, if you think about – and he narrows – I've taken a lot of what he's written and narrowed it down into some kind of functional rules, or not rules, behaviors for myself. And one of them is time equals truth. It takes time to get to the truth. And again, 
if if I were to do this, is a terrible example because I'm sitting in my basement, but it's uh, the only the only thing in front of me is this obsolete oil burner we have down here. We just bought an old house in Connecticut. I don't know anything about oil burners. So if I have to write an ad for this oil burner and it's doing two hours, I have no time to make truth. I'm just going to say, stay cozy, warm all winter long. The coldest day, you'll feel warm. And you know what? That might suck. That might not suck. But it's going to be like if there's 100 lines about oil burners, 97 of them are going to be just like that. 99 of them are going to be just like that because I don't really know anything about oil burners. I don't know what's important. I don't know what happens when they go bad. I don't know anything. So I haven't taken the time to find the truth. And that's what we produce today. I'm not blaming the writers. I'm blaming the function. I'm blaming the system. I'm blaming, you know, Malcolm Gladwell would say you need 10,000 hours. You know, I, I could tell you going back to, to baseball, you need to play a thousand games before you get good. And I need to learn this oil burner. I need to learn how long they last, how, how thick the, the, the steel is, how, you know, what kind of floor they work best. You know, you, you have to put it on. I need to, I need to understand shit. That's the planners don't know that. You know, Wikipedia doesn't know it. You only know it by talking to old oil burner installers and and people who live in a house for 97 years and their grandparents lived in it before them. And, you know, old reliable here kept going in the winter of 02. You, you know, you, 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 but we don't, we're not set up to do that anymore. No, and that's why you believe in factory tours. Yeah, and and you know, on on top of it, I think it gets worse because today no one challenges anyone who says people don't read anymore, and people don't have attention spans. And I would hear it at that place I worked. Uh, what was it, Ogleshme or something? Yeah, that's it. And I would say, you know, you tell me people don't have attention spans, and every morning I hear you coming in. And talking to people about the seven hours of binge watching you did the night before. Is that an attention span? Because it sure seems that way to me. And, you know, I know, for instance, the Times, New York Times, which had zero digital subscribers 10 years ago, has 5 million today. So someone's reading. So you're telling me things because you, you hear them as wisdom or, 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 um, I forget the word. Um, but you haven't given me any proof. And so we're, we're about to have hopefully an election in this country. And, you know, if I were Joe Biden, I would run a four page an eight page a 16 page ad of 20,000 words saying exactly what I, I'm going to do on every issue, and I'd publish it in every major newspaper in the United States. And when Donald Trump says, you said blah, 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 I say, no, you know, Donald, actually on page 7, line 42, codicil 9, I said this. And it's there, Donald, in black and white. That's what I'm going to do. I think that has value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether or not you read it, there's a visual quality to it that says if you bought a 70 uh, 
an $88 bottle of wine and I decide if that's your thing and I, and I decide to put an eight page thing tied to the wine bottle. And I talk to you about the, the soil and the farmer and the family and the, and the horses that he, that pull the fricking plows. I'll sell you that wine. I mean, part of it is you're interested already. I, I, I'm not denying that, but, um, I think we need to take time to learn shit. And I don't think anyone's given the time and, and they haven't had the training. They haven't been told it's important anymore because I don't think they teach. I know they don't teach that in ad school. Yeah, no, they don't. I know that from a couple of grads we've had on, on our books recently. Um, I've got a couple of listener questions for you, George. Oh, <laughs> so asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names is notoriously fraught with danger. But we do have two for you. So um, Jim asks, he says, your ad-aged blog post on Valentine's Day mentioned that after parting ways with Ogleshmi, <laughs> uh, you've, you've rediscovered your love for advertising. Why do you think that is and what do you love about it? Okay, let me see if I can find that. So I can, because it's, it's been a little while since Valentine's Day. Well, you know what? I, I, I think, you know, when you're at, an agency for a long time you get caught up in the bullshit of the agency rather than the craft of the craft and i'm not saying craft to be pretentious i'll 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 tell you i just finished a really amazing book last night called uh the saddest words uh the subtitle is william faulkner's civil war William Faulkner probably isn't too big in the UK, but once he had some success, he made a little money in Hollywood. He had a couple of novels. You know what? He won the, uh, the Nobel prize. What am I talking about? He won the Nobel prize in 1949. So he said, you know what? Now I can write. I, I, I don't have to worry about paying the rent. I don't have to worry about my publishers. Now I can write. And I think when I left Ogilvy, I don't have to rationalize why I want to spend 16 hours learning about oil burners. I can just learn. I can say to the client, I need to learn about your product before I try to write about your product. And you know what? No one's really going to dispute that. Except in an agency, they will, because there's going to be a... um, project manager saying, well, you're only scoped for four hours. So, you know, I, I found this poem and this might be an answer. I know my answers are never blithe or quick. It's, I'm not good at reading poems, but I'm going to read it. It says, when someone deeply listens to you, it's like holding out a dented cup you've had since childhood and watching it fill up with cold, fresh water. When it balances on top of the brim, you were understood. When it overflows and touches your skin, you were loved. When someone deeply listens to you, the room where you stay starts a new life, and the place where you wrote your first poem begins to glow. It's as if gold has been discovered when someone deeply listens to you. Your bare feet are on the earth, and a beloved land that seemed distant is now at home with you. That, I think, is what we're supposed to do. You're yeah. supposed to deeply listen. And I think both the client and the viewer, the reader, 
are going to feel listened to if you listen. And, and I think that's the reason behind our disdain for advertising today. No one listens. Perfect. Um, question two, uh, then, George, is from Sarah. She says, you've been vocal about the t- deterioration of copywriting, even saying, I think journalists are writing better headlines than copywriters these days. With a rising clickbait and fake news, is this really true? Well, you know, it, it depends. I, it depends on what you, what you're reading, and and you know, one of the privileges of, of of blogging is I don't have to fact check anything. I read two newspapers or three. Sometimes I read the um, the Washington Post. Sometimes, but usually just the New York Times and the, and the Wall Street Journal. And they're not as clickbaity as like the Buzzfeeds of the world. And the when I wrote that line, I had read an article in the Wall Street Journal about Warren Buffett, and it was called Warren Buffett and the three hundred thousand dollar hair haircut. And I said to myself, "Well, that's a damn. How do you not read that? If if you're a journal reader anyway, and you basically give a shit about investing in money, that's a pretty good headline. It's startling." <laughs> And and the sub had the sub had clar- clarified it, so the hierarchy of the communication was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm I'm trying to look at the ads I read, and I you know I, I do most of my reading online, uh, except Sunday we get the Sunday paper, but I don't recall an ad where I saw a similarly good headline, and idiosyncratic, surprising, silly, quizzical, so. You know, I know there's a lot of clickbaity things. I've written about, you know, 21 ways to make ice cubes. The last one will really blow your mind. You know, it's <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, but, but you know what? That's a betrayal of trust, too. And and so I don't, to Sarah, I, you know, a lot of times, because we're all going through our freaking news feeds, and you'll see something like, can you believe this reaction shot from Melania or Boris Johnson said what? And you yeah, go, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll click on it. And then you get yeah. to it and it's like, well, he stepped on a piece of gum and he looked at his shoe and can you believe his expression? He's like, he just. Yeah. You've overpromised there. Yeah. yeah. You're a liar. You've yeah. lied to me. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a question between, you know, journalism is clickbait and advertising as honest i think it's respect for the reader and i think that journalists in at least the two newspapers i read have had to show respect for the consumer's intelligence and time in a way that i'm not a hundred percent sure those words ever come into the calibration of creativity by either creative directors, by creative directors, by account people, by planners, or by clients, or by clients, by clients, by clients, by clients, by the time it gets up the ladder or down the ladder, whichever way it goes. Yeah. So I don't know that respect for the consumer ever enters into the picture. It's all like, what do we want to say? Well, there's a difference. Yeah, I also think the um, as long as 
pay for clicks exists. I mean, clicks are such a blunt metric, but as long as that does exist, then clickbait will exist. Yeah, therein lies a big issue. And and equally, Sarah uses the word better, and you know, we can talk about good headlines. But I think it's important also to clarify the difference between a good headline, meaning an effective headline that does the job, and a good headline that you just think is a nice headline. Yeah, you know, when when I was a kid, and I I just got done teaching an advertising class at Ad House in um, New York, you know, over Zoom. When I was a kid in college, you know, there's always a, a bulletin board, maybe four feet by six feet. If a kid, you know, a kid lives in Cleveland and is going home to Cleveland, anybody have a ride to Cleveland this week, you know, for Labor Day weekend or something. And I'd say about 5% of, of these, you know, they were usually handwritten. It was pre-computer and they'd be, you know, pinned up to the wall. And so if it's the papers is A4, eight and a half by 11, whatever. Somebody would write, you know, in large 72-point type, the word sex. And then underneath it in small type, it would say, now that I got your attention, I need a ride to Cleveland. Well, that's clickbait. And that just pisses you off. Because you got my, it, it, That's gratuitous. That's not respectful. And, you know, respect, honesty are the hallmarks of civil uh, of civilization and communication. And so if you want to do clickbait that's fine. I don't I don't I, I'm going to try not to read your magazine cuz I don't want to be treated like that. The same way I don't want to hear from Verizon or Orange whatever the telco is that I can get a month of, you know, unlimited service for 49.95 and then I go into the store and it's 89.95 and I say what about the commercial? Well, that's that's if you're left-handed and stand on one leg. You know, <laughs> you lied to me. Now, those are monopolies. You can't do anything about it. But you, but you're still a liar to me. Yeah, the, the trouble is you can't measure that bit, can you? You can't measure getting pissed off with those clickbaits. But what you do get a measure, albeit an ambiguous digital measure, then send signal back to the people who placed the ad that someone clicked on the ad. And I think that therein lies another issue, which right. I need to be careful not to start ranting about. <laughs> Passion is important. So the final part of the interview then, George, is our four pertinent poses. So starting with, what advice would you give to your younger self? What advice would I give to my younger self? You know, I have this, I have two somewhat contrary pieces of advice to my younger self and to my current self, because I don't think people change that much. One, um, I was brand new at Ogilvy the first time. And I was working for Steve Hayden, who at the time had one of the biggest names in the business, still, still does, but he was a legend in his business. He wrote, he was the writer on Apple's famous 1984 spot. And he was, he was, president of Ogilvy on, on the IBM account. I was brand new. I didn't have a partner. And he, for whatever reason, kind of grabbed me. I was literally there less than a month. He grabbed me. There was an accountant trouble. He didn't know me. For, I mean, he interviewed me. He hired me, but he didn't really know me. And he said, this account's in trouble. We need spots. I need you to write spots. And I came in on a weekend and I probably wrote 60 spots. And I was nervous about 
he was an email kind of guy, not a, can I have an hour at 10 o'clock kind of guy. So I was going to email him, and maybe I was avoiding things. Um, I was going to email him spots, and I was paralyzed. And so piece of advice number one is hit the send button. You have to get yourself, I think, to a, and I say this to my own daughters uh, and, and people in the business, young people in the business I like. Um, you have to get yourself to the point where you believe in your good. Like, it might not be as good as you want it to be. You might not feel like heel clicky about it, but it came from you. It's good. So it's believe that your good is other people's great and hit the send button. And the little bit of advice that might be contrary to this is know when to close the computer. Um, so know when to say, you know what? I've done my best for the day. I actually, you know, I actually do better creatively when I'm taking a shower or walking the dog than I do when I'm staring at my Mac. So I'm going to close the computer. I'm going to go home. I'm going to have a cup of whatever. And that's what I'm going to do. And, and I'm a big reader. I read a book by a guy called um, Candell, Eric Candell, The Age of Insight. He's a Nobel Prize neurophysicist from Columbia. And he talks about the power of sleep and creativity, that the generative um, uh, activity of your brain while you're sleeping if you're a creative person. And I believe that. I believe I've had a good portion of my ideas come together while I'm sleeping, which is why I get into work when I was working at, you know, usually at 6.30 or 7 in the morning. So those are two kind of companion pieces. And then when I went freelance or when I was forced to go freelance in 2014, I heard two, piece of, two pieces of advice that kind of follow the same pattern in that they're somewhat affirmative but contradictory. One was never say no to a job. And I believe that in an agency too. Never say no. You'll find time. And, yeah. two, and two is know when to press the down button. So take on a lot, but, but know when to, when to leave at night. And th that's a discipline and a trust in yourself that a lot of people don't have. Because a lot of people compensate for their own frailty or their own uh, insecurity by saying, well, I'm going to stay till 3 in the morning. Oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I, I mean, something as simple as I do the Sunday Times crossword puzzle. It, it's not like your English crossword puzzles. It's not that hard, but it's pretty challenging. And I'm good at it. But there's hardly a time where I don't get better when I walk away for 20 minutes, where, where I don't look at it and say, I can't get a thing. And then I do the dishes or I walk the dog or... Uh, um, you know, I buy my wife something with diamonds. Um, and yeah, she's been a straight man to me for 40 years. Um, I come back and all of a sudden the things that were unclear become clear. And, you know, that's obvious, but it takes a long time to figure out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And to allow yourself to do it as well. I yeah. Think. Yeah. 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 Cool. Number two is if you could banish one thing from the industry, what would it be and why? You know, I, I think if I could banish one thing from the industry, 
I heard this in reference to um, the epidemic that in America we call the nightly news. It's, um, it's segments that start with the words, I think. Because you know what? I don't really give a fuck what you think. Yeah. I don't give a fuck that you think clicks are important. I don't give a fuck that you, you think the, the, the great metric of our age is, is Facebook likes. I don't show me a case where it worked. You know, I was at a, a vaunted digital shop for five years. And I was told that everything from Facebook likes to QR codes to this to that were going to fundamentally change the way human beings breathe, live, act, shit, eat, everything else. And, you know, this one guy, I was working on a brand that literally had 7% aided awareness. And this little, little, I'll use a Yiddish word, little pisher, it sounds like what it is. <laughs> <laughs> says to me, what we have to do is get Facebook likes. And I was the odd man out there because I was the one who didn't believe in shit like that. And I said to him, David, all I'm asking for, I'm not saying no. All I'm asking for is one example, one example of one brand it had an impact for. If you can give me one example, I'll agree with you. And he looked at me like I asked him to draw and quarter his grandmother. It's like, how <laughs> dare you ask for evidence? So, you know, we've lived through the goal, as Bob Hoffman calls it, the golden age of bullshit. You know, and I, the one pushback I'd have on Bob is, it's, it's a little bit like it's the golden age. Today is the golden age of bullshit and always has been. I, I kind of feel like, you know, medieval alchemy will never go away. The concept of alchemy, turning something ba base metal into gold, will never go away. Today we call it data um, or clicks or Facebook likes or something else. But yeah. you can't show me the money. You can't show me the gold, straw. You can't turn straw into gold. I know. You know, you can show me the science, but show me it in real life. And then you have to show me again. Because anything, you know, if, if it's a pharmaceutical thing, you can't just do it once. You have to show me again and again and again that you can replicate the conditions that happen and that they're not just an anomaly. You know, there's a New Yorker cartoon, two professors or scientists looking at an equation on a board, you know, one of those elaborate like Einsteinian equations, and in the middle of it they have the words, and then a miracle happened. <laughs> You know, I think we need some clarification there. Um, you know, I think, yeah, miracles do happen, but it's the replicability that makes it something. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's the modern day bleeding people with leeches. Yeah. There'll always be something, won't there? But you're right. I mean, the, anything that starts, I think, I know Dave Trotz uh, talked about this before and he, he says that's the language of the consumer, not the professional. It works or it doesn't work. Don't give me subjectivity. You hear a lot during the day, you hear a lot of uh, received opinions as fact. And, you know, it's a little bit, the, the malady of our age. We hear it in politics, we hear it in personal relationships, we hear it in everything. And I, I think we have to be a little bit 
I'm, I'm not saying that we can only believe in facts, but we have to, I think, be a little more cynical. Maybe people my age, I'm 62, have an advantage because I grew up during Vietnam and Richard Nixon. So you questioned everything. We were trained to question everything, kind of as that, that, that was a what I would call a classic liberal New York upbringing. If you heard sub, if you heard, because we used to listen, my mother would have the news on at night on the radio, and uh, they would, you know, would, they would give the casualty figures uh, from Vietnam, and they would say, you know, 800 North Vietnamese deaths, 600 Viet Cong death deaths, 400 South Vietnamese, three Americans. You're like, it can't be. It it can't be. So you, you know you. I grew up with that saying it can't be show me. Um, and I think that's a wiser way to be than, yeah, okay. That's a, you know, uh, Charlotte said it, it's gotta be true. She's an SVP. <laughs> no, I'm not buying it. Nothing against Charlotte. Nothing <laughs> against no, of course not. Of course not. But the the the, the Vietnam War is, is a catastrophic example of believing the wrong metrics. And and you may have heard of you know oh, the, yeah. it was the McNamara fallacy using body count as a metric for success and for winning hearts and minds. Yeah, we're going to kill our way to peace. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's it's not it's it's not the way it works. So I mean, yes. And when actually my last big assignment at Ogilvy was on for a defense contractor, a defense contractor in a horrible crisis, Boeing. And you realize that anything they said to you, it was as if Robert McNamara was your client. And that 99% of your job was saying, no, we need to get to something truer than that. What are you really doing about this problem of your plane's crashing? Not that you're forming a blue ribbon committee. What are you doing? I want to see Literally, I want to see what, how you've redesigned every bit of code and every screw. And then I will start to believe you because you've killed people. And yeah. I mean, thank God they fired me before I had to do the work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you get the point. Yeah, well, funnily enough, I, I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't go off on another tangent here. I'm, I'm mindful of how much time I'm taking from you, George. But oh no, I'm enjoying this. I've, uh, I, I actually went through the ad-aged archives earlier, and I thought I'm going to go right back. So I, I've read the first uh, few blogs that you wrote. We're going back to June 2007, and I think yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. And I think Article Two though could have been written today. And you talk about Vonage and their churn rate and the, the amount they invest in online advertising. And you make a great point at the end and conclude, and it's, it's the parallels are our kind of weird, obsessive focus on short-term over long-term success. And you talk about how, you know, as an agency, your revenue would decrease if they did what you suggested, but your right. guess is in the long-term, you'd make even more money. Yeah, well, I remember that that insider, if you want to call it an insight, came from um, a client I worked on in the early 90s. Uh, it was a bank account. And my bosses, we were working on a big local bank in New York. They still had local banks it's before everything consolidated in America. So they're a big bank, the largest retail bank in New York. And they found out that every week, 
they gained a quarter of a million clients, something like that, or maybe 25,000 clients, you know, customers. And, you know, they ran an ad about, you know, there's a reason we gained a uh, 25,000 clients every week. Something like that. It was a good ad. And I, I talked to my boss about it. He's a, he was a fantastic writer. He said, well, every bank gains that many customers a week because they lose that many customers a week. That's, that's the churn of the business. And, you know, they just turned it into an advantage. But I, I remembered that like, oh, okay, well, this is, this is an interesting thing. Vonage has to keep getting new customers because, because they do nothing to retain customers. A little bit like an ad agency, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, because I'd, I'd, way, I'd way rather have growth from current clients than keep getting new clients. Um, if I were an ad agency. Yeah, yeah, agreed, totally. Number three then, so aside from the saddest words, are there any books you can recommend to our listeners? Yeah, um, I read one of the most important books I think I've ever read. Uh, I tend not to read literature these days. I tend to read nonfiction. And it's by a woman called Isabel Wilkerson. Um, I believe she won a National Book Award for a book called... um, the Warmth of Other Suns about the uh, great black migration around World War One in America. Um, what happened was basically before World War One, basically all the African Americans in the United States lived in the South. That's where they were beholden. And when jobs in the North and cities uh, opened up, factory jobs opened up um, during World War One because most of the white men were overseas, this migration up north happens. That's when cities like New, uh, Cleveland, New York, you know, uh, Chicago, Detroit, uh, Kansas City, even LA, had huge influxes of African American population. So she wrote a book on that called The Warmth of Other Sons. She's just come out with a new book that got maybe the single best book review I've ever read in the New York Times. The book is called Cast, Cast with an E, and it's about the inherent racism. I'm going to sh- say in our shared political systems because we were we were hand in glove between the slave trade and colonialism and 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 all that but it's it's the ingrained castiness of the american system and if you, it's it's pretty eye opening because if you look at our political world in, in america especially right now um through the lens of well some people just need to be kept down uh or why does america not have universal health care uh because we don't want to pay for black people having it. it it's 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 a pretty it's a shocking book it's you know if i were king i would make it required reading if i were working on biden's campaign i would force him to sit down and read it kamala too because it's that important and i have probably recommended it more than i've recommended any book except for um you know, Playboy's party jokes. Yeah, uh, yeah, course, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's really it's really pretty amazing. It's not about advertising. No, um, well, that's good. Yeah, but it's about truth. Perfect. Okay, amazing. That sounds great. We we will um we will link to that and the saddest words in in this listing. I'll, I'll, I'll send I'll send you the review from the Times, and then there's there's another um, review um, on the Times that has a forty five minute podcast from from the author. Um, ah, brilliant! Yeah, so I'll, I'll send you those. Yeah, please do. We'll we'll link out to those. 
Uh, and the number four, we all, we always dedicate every episode to someone, and we bestow or hospital pass that honour, depending on your view, to our guest who has to give the reason why. So, would you kindly do the honours? Uh, you know what? I'm going to dedicate it to uh, Rob Schwartz. Um, you know, Rob is just he's he's a big enough deal in the industry that he'd be permitted to be an asshole, and <laughs> and he's not. He's just a genuinely good person, and um, he's funny. We we we've only had drinks twice, I think, or three times, maybe, in all the time that I know him. But we uh, we do a New York, you know, kibitz by email, probably at least once a week, where we'll uh, either do Twitter jokes with each other or we'll just send emails to each other. We we reach out to each other with fairly personal uh, things that we're dealing with sometimes or things we're dealing with in the business or the agency or whatever. And, you know, the first six months I thought Rob was trying to recruit me. And then, you know, uh, and then I realized he, he's nicer than that. Um, so, uh, or he's given up on me or, um, you, you know, but he's just a genuinely nice. I think he's the one who connected us, and he's the one who said you should yeah. you should go on uh, take take my uh, agency CEO um, holding company CEO um, thing on the road. You know, it's it's unusual, and and then the last bit of my pay on to Rob is that we need more Robs in the industry, and I'll tell you why in in seven words: creative who's become a CEO. And you know what? If I was running a baseball team, I'd want a player to be manager. If I was running an automobile factory, I'd want a car enthusiast enthusiast to be running a show. If I was running uh, a restaurant, I'd want it run by a fat guy. (laughs) And if I was running an agency, I'd like to be somebody I'd like I'd like to be run by somebody who loves what agencies do, yeah. what agencies make. And, you know, there's something I, – I, I think if we could – if we had a fast-forward button on our Max, if Elon Musk made a fast-forward button, and we could go forward 200 years, you know, and our seven – nine-year-olds were sitting on our laps and saying, Daddy, was there really a time when when they put accountants in charge of advertising agencies? (laughs) You know, I was about about to make that point. Yeah, yeah, I I mean, I think that's kind of like, are you serious? They put vegetarians in charge of steakhouses? Um, You know, why would would they do that? (laughs) But that's that's what's happened. Yeah, but there there was a guy, except a guy called Rob. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 but you know, when I grew up in the business, the best agencies in New York, and the same thing in the UK, Abbott Mead Vickers, uh, BBH, uh, Trotz Agencies, um, College Dixon Pierce, um, most of them had a creative person in the name. And back in the day, when I was young, there was something in America called the Red Book, and it was kind of a New York City phone book sized book that listed every agency, the key people at every agency, every address, and and oftentimes their principal accounts. This is like pre-internet, obviously. So if you were looking for a job, you could say, oh, so, you know, um, 
lamp and binocular agency. These are the three leads. Oh, none of them are creative. I don't want to look, I don't, I don't want to work there. You know, you'd want to work at a place, Scali, Amirati, Alley, Levine. Those are, you know, hot New York agencies at the time, Shy Day, where creatives were in the lead. Now you don't have that option, of course. But there was a time in the United States, and that's how you would, that's how you would determine. And if there was no, I do this still. I'll look at the who we are part, because every agency is the same information architecture. If they don't have a creative person in their, you know, their seven, seven key people, I don't even want to talk to you. I don't even want to talk to you because you're running a driving school and nobody has a license. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Well said. It's a, it's a brilliant dedication as well. So this episode is very proudly dedicated to, well, not only fat guys who run restaurants, but uh, to, <laughs> Rob, to Rob Schwartz. As a, as, a, as a final call to action, everyone listening, head over to this episode's listing and it will be full of all the links to everything we've discussed, um, including the book recommendations to George's own site. How else can people get more George Tannenbaum in their lives? Well, they can send a check to my home address. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I'm pretty easy to find. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, the um, starting of my own business has turned me into, and I've written about this in the past, turned me into a little bit of a fiend on social media. You know, I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn and, you know, I probably get 20 friend requests, whatever they call them, connection requests a week. And, you know, I, 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 I put all my blog stuff on LinkedIn and, and some occasional nasty stuff. Um, that's, that's the best thing, you know, my site and all that stuff, but my blogs become my voice except for the you know my ceo um and yeah that's that's become my voice uh so that that's what i do teaching you know again at ad house in the fall uh, and uh you know you come visit i'm living up in connecticut as long as uh you know we're uh under disease lockdown um yeah so uh, yeah come visit me in connecticut yeah it's horrible here yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh dear. well uh, George it's been a, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure and a blast and I've loved it Likewise, yeah let's do it again yeah well um thank you so much and and thank you to everybody listening if you've enjoyed this episode please do share it and review the pod uh keep questions and guest requests coming in to get in touch it's easy to find gasp online you can check out CTA Pod on Instagram or just email hello at calltoaction.co. Try and I try and I try.